You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. Today's guest is Rivers Cuomo, lead vocalist, guitarist, keyboardist, and songwriter of the rock band Weezer. I have reached this place now where it feels like a relationship with the audience, where I don't want to just shut them out of the conversation. I really want to listen and see where their heads are at and like what they're reacting to. And sometimes it's not exactly where I would have gone on my own. He's a very interesting gentleman. He grew up in an ashram, like a commune uh, situation, and discovered music when he was a kid via his father, who was a drummer. And, you know, the guy is super popular for being in Weezer. But he went to Harvard and got a degree in music composition. He really knows his shit. He's released a buttload of music. Weezer has made 15 albums, which is fucking pretty intense. I think he just writes and works constantly. You know, I, I met him 15 years ago or something. And at the time, I was doing Vipassana meditation. And uh, I've kind of gone in and out of it, but he's been very consistent with it. I think it's probably the most important thing in his life is his connection to, you know, whatever he connects with when he does his Vipassana meditation. I admire his focus, his discipline, his connection to what he cares about. And um, it's awesome to get to speak to him. So thank you, Ivers, for doing this. And here we go. I think, guys, you guys might have been in the studio, the same studio. Were you at The Village recently? We were in there when we were writing for our album. We rented out a room just to, to rehearse in and write and jam. But that was like over a year ago, a year and a half ago or something. Okay, so none of you guys were in there, say, like two weeks ago? We were. We were in there a couple of weeks ago to do interviews. Like they, the same room, we just did some interviews. We weren't recording or anything. Yeah, I think I saw your names on the on the list there. Oh, okay. Oh, well, here we are. So... uh this podcast is specifically about music education, and, and I'm doing it to benefit my music school. I have a nonprofit music school called the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. And oh yeah, it's been really nice to speak with different people because everybody's music education is so different, you know? But it, pretty much everyone I've spoken to, it starts in the same way. Like at one point, they're little. And they hear something or they see something or something triggers in them a fascination with music and they're drawn to it. And I I wonder um, if that's the case with you. And if it is, do you remember what it is? Well, yeah, absolutely. My my dad was a drummer and he was very active when I was a baby. So in fact, when I think when I was two months old, he he uh, was on a record with uh, one of Wayne Shorter's wow. records. Um, this is like before mm -hmm. Weather Report. Uh, that, that was his one claim to fame, I guess. But he, he was always playing the drums, um, practicing or jamming, whatever it was. And there were other musicians around. And so I just remember like, I mean, I don't remember, but I know I've heard that I was just standing up in the crib wow. all the time, watching him play, listening to him play. And, was he mostly a jazz drummer? Did he play jazz mostly? Yeah, just jazz. Uh -huh. You know, I, I also um, had a jazz musician parent as well. Mm. 
I mean, mine didn't, like my real father left when I was like six or seven years old. And then my mom remarried to a guy who was a jazz musician. So I, you know, I grew up around it too, but I was older. I was, I was like, you know, a little older. Yeah. So my, my parents split up when I was four and then I, I really didn't see my dad. So I just had like these very primal memories of, of the drums or I, I guess, I guess I call them the blams. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I, did, I was like, I could remember the smell of the <laughs> hardware and, and the feel and the, and the sound. And I, I, we had these cool pictures of him playing and I just totally romanticized it, but it was, it was like a world away. Yeah. It's a romantic thing. Yeah. So you're almost pre, you're pre-verbal when you're hearing your dad play the drums, but like, how do you absorb music when you're that little? And so there you are as a baby, as a toddler, hearing jazz and clearly, you know, which is a pretty sophisticated music and it no doubt becoming part of who you are. And, and after, so when your parents split up and, and your dad left and you, did you continue to have contact with him or no? Uh, barely. Mm. I think, I think I saw him, uh, I saw him when I was seven and 11 and 16. Mm. So is, you know, that's like, that's just very, very, very little contact when growing up Yeah, and just totally romanticized everything about him. I just thought he was the coolest thing. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted to be a drummer. So that was my first instrument. Uh-huh. When did you start playing the drums? I think I got one of those little practice pads when I was, uh, 12, just practicing rudiments, like paradiddles, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and then, then somehow I managed to, to get my dad's drums that they were in Rochester. I was in Connecticut. So I think we went there, we, we went there and got them when I was about 12 or 13. Wow. So I just started, I, I finally started actually playing a drum set. Yeah. Lasted about a year. and then. Around that same time, my brother, my younger brother, got an electric guitar, and I just started playing his guitar more than I was playing the drums, and and more than he was playing guitar. I just kind of took it over because I I wanted to play note like pitches. I, I had the melodies and chord progressions in my head, and I wanted to get those out. I just I, w- I wasn't satisfied with the drums anymore. Mm. When you started playing the drums. Um, do you feel like you had a pretty natural inclination towards rhythm? Did it feel natural and easy or did it feel, was it difficult? Um, I guess on a spectrum, I, I felt kind of average. Like it wasn't super exciting playing on this, this like six inch drum pad, <laughs> playing paradiddles. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the, I mean, the romance is kind of gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, no, no one would have singled me out as like, wow, this kid's going to be a fantastic drummer someday. I was like, just kind of average. I was, I was like in the beginning band in school, and 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 that was up in Connecticut. Yeah. So I, at the, you know, at night I'm I, I come home and I'm like listening to Kiss records, trying to understand what the hell Peter Chris was doing. Like, okay, I can kind of tell that's the hi hat, that's a snare drum, and then I would try to play it on the kit, but I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Was Kiss one of the first rock bands that you liked? Was was rock music the, like the first music that you loved? Yeah, I mean, when I was a little kid, I hear my parents' music, and and it was definitely moved me a lot. Like 
Cat Stevens, James Taylor, the Beatles. Um, that yeah, that stuff really moved me. But uh, I was we were living on an ashram, so it was pretty pretty uh, cut off from mainstream pop culture. Mm. And but when I was seven, there was this little girl, the seven year old girl who came through the ashram for a visit. And she brought a Kiss record. It's rock and roll, rock and roll all over. And she, uh, she came over to our house, and we had a little cassette recorder. And while we were playing the Kiss record, we recorded ourselves like running around the coffee table in circles, like dancing and singing along. And then she left after a day, but I still had that cassette. So, like, for a long time, all I would listen to is a cassette of us listening to Kiss, a Kiss record. <laughs> and wow. it had a huge, huge impact on me and my wow. brother and, and all of us. It was like, this kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was the Kiss music in the background and the sound of you guys yelling and partying along. Yeah. Wow. The big thing was that the sound of the electric guitar is just, oh, my God, the power. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I still try to wrap my head around it because when I was a kid, I just, you know, I wanted to be a jazz trumpet player. Um, I didn't have that until I was like made friends in high school that liked rock music. I never considered it. You know, I never romanced that, that like the power and the distortion and the, you know, just the sonicness of stuff. I didn't, I didn't, that didn't, I wasn't even aware of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so exciting to me now. I can only imagine as a kid how that felt. And so so you're like 12 years old when you get a hold of your brother's guitar? Yeah, I think 13, I, I really just started playing it every day. And then for my 14th birthday, I got my own guitar. And were you still, like when you say that you were living on an ashram, forgive me because I don't, you know, I mean, that's, I, don't, I don't know much about that. Are you in like a rural area and really cut off? I mean, I'm imagining you like, you know, the Bronte kids, like in the middle of nowhere, like in a religious setting. Yeah. Uh, so when people think of Connecticut, they usually think of the, the southwest corner, which is basically a suburb of New York City. But we were in the northeast corner, which is very rural, just like small farm towns. And yeah, the ashram was like uh, a big commune that was kind of set up out there in the middle of all these farms in wow. New England. Yeah, it was, it was pretty idyllic. Wow, sounds beautiful. Forgive me, because I, I just don't, I don't know. Like, like religiously, were there um, moral uh, boundaries regarding art and music and stuff, or was it pretty free that way? Well, in the seventies, it was like they hadn't quite <laughs> gotten their act together. Like, it wasn't that strict, mm -hmm. but we were just were cut off from other kids, so we just we weren't hearing their music and yeah. seeing their TV shows and movies and everything. All the adults were like pretty, you know, very very spiritual and, and, uh, disciplined and, and you know, s somewhat, uh, some, somewhat of a, like, uh, renunciates. Yeah. So they were kind of, um, re renouncing the, the material world to, to an extent. Yeah. I think in later years, like after we split off from them, they did get pretty strict about that stuff mm. because all the kids started, to, they turned into teenagers and the energy started to get a little wild from what I hear. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But, so you weren't getting swept away in the youth culture that all the kids, you know, a couple hours of drive away in Manhattan were getting into. Absolutely not. No, we were pretty sheltered. Yeah, which is amazing 
because you have time to develop your own sense of creativity and aesthetic and your own relationship to music that isn't dependent on trying to be cool to fit in with the other kids or anything. You're just gassing on what you like and what you hear and what strikes something in you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you started playing guitar, you just start playing it and figuring it out on your own? Or did like someone show you this is a major scale, this is a minor scale, this is how chords go? How did that go? Well, back then, it was like sheet music was in a very primitive state. Like you'd get a Kiss songbook, and all it was really was was piano transcriptions of Kiss songs with like little uh, open chord diagrams over the piano music. And it's totally useless because... If you're listening to Kiss or a metal band or something, they're playing like riffs and power chords and stuff. And and I try to learn from these songbooks, but it sounded nothing like the records. So I I did take a few lessons uh, from yeah. from a local guy, and that was super helpful. And then started learning from from other kids in school. By this point, we're we split off from the ashram. They, the whole whole ashram moved down to Virginia. We stayed in Connecticut and I went to public school from sixth grade on. Uh, and when you got to public school, you, you're playing, but you weren't playing the drum pad in public school. That was drums. You'd already gone to the guitar. No, I started playing the drum pad right when I got to middle school. Okay. I see. I see. And so <laughs> you're rocking the pad, yeah. you get a hold of the guitar and you're getting sheet music from Kiss songs. What's the next stage? Like what? Is is am I missing anything? Like, is there any other like musical thing that you are fascinated by that you like? What's Little Rivers yearning for? Yeah. Well, on the guitar side, uh, you know, there's guitar magazines started to get better, so I was I was learning licks from there, and uh, you know, learning from other kids, forming bands, that kind of thing. But on the other side, and starting in eighth grade, I got very interested in. Well, my friend got me into it. He's like, you should join the, the choir with me and you should join the musical theater group with me. And he was my best friend. So I was like, okay. Um, and, and, and the music teacher said, Hey, you have, you have a pretty good voice. Let's, um, you should take this more seriously. So starting from eighth grade, I got very into like anything singing. So I was in the choir and the barbershop quartet and the magical singers and the musical theater productions and taking voice lessons. And I got into music theory, taking little music theory classes and composition classes. It just really exploded in high school. Wow. It's so cool that you had that opportunity in high school to do yeah, all that stuff. Was, had that shit. It was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So while wow, you're getting a really good, well-rounded music education early. I mean, harmony, theory, singing in a group, and also like having the thing of like starting bands with friends with that kind of, you know, independent, like a more autonomous stuff. Yep. Yep. I, I got it all. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Do you feel like you, um, you were just experiencing it and just like, okay, this is fun. I like the way my body and my mind and everything feels when I'm doing all these musical things. And, you know, it's a sense of, connection with other people and all of that did you have like designs did you imagine like oh i'm going to be a musician that's what i'm going to do for my life i didn't seriously adopt that goal until i was 16 like it just didn't uh i didn't really think of it as a 
an option, or maybe I wasn't even thinking of where I was going to end up. I just knew I wanted to form a band now, and I wanted to play shows now, and I wanted to win the Battle of the Bands, <laughs> and I wanted to spread the demo tape around. I, I, I don't know if I thought about what, what I was going to be as an adult. Yeah. Do you remember like what was the funnest thing? Like, I mean, starting a band and winning the Battle of the Bands, that's huge. Well, we didn't win. I, I oh, wanted okay. to win. <laughs> I've never won a Battle of Bands. Even Weezer was in a Battle of Bands and we lost. Oh, really? I, my only, like the only time I ever, when I was in high school, I, I joined a band. Um, it's like a funk R&B band at Fairfax High School in Hollywood. And, and we auditioned to be, to play the prom and we didn't, we didn't make it. That was my only, my only thing. And then later on I joined a rock band, but, but, you know, I was just playing trumpet and congas. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so when you think back to that time, is there a thing that you loved the most? Like a thing, like, you know, I don't know, I guess like a real happy place with it. Was it a sanctuary? Was it, you know, the, the connection with other people? Was it just like vibrating and being in the moment, making the sound? Whether you know singing or whatever it was, yeah. I'm. I mean, the the first thing, the first moments I recall when you ask that question are all have to do with singing in those groups, like um, singing in 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 uh, in the barbershop quartet. You know, it's just me and three other guys, and the, the harmonies are very close, and there's some dissonance. And when when everyone is in tune and we're in sync and the harmony, like so- something about like the overtones, it just turns into this. It's greater than the sum of its parts thing. Uh, and yeah, man, whether it's just in the in the chorus room or rehearsing together and we're nailing it, it feels so good. Or or we're in front of the audience, like at the school assembly, and you know the kids would just go nuts when we when we sing <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, wow, best feeling. That's incredible. I, I mean, I, you know, I've sung in a choir a few times and I'm not a very good singer, but enough to hold, you know, hold my little spot down. And, uh, but in a big choir, because at, at my music school, we have choir and I, you know, a few sessions I've had time to do it. I do it. It's such a great feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Chorus too, because there you, it's a much bigger group and you have the, uh, the, the girls involved too. And it sounds, uh, so angelic and uplifting and you know it's like 50 kids singing together and beautiful beautiful classical music yeah wow when you're doing all this stuff were you it just seems like were you pretty diligent about doing it like were there other distractions in your life like because so many kids have like well i like doing that but i want to play football or i want to go get high or i want to Chase, you know, I'm this girl. I got to do anything to make her like me. Or like, did were you very diligent and focused always on doing that and and honing your craft as a musician, or were there other things that you wanted to do? And were they did they help you? And if they were, did they help you in doing what you're doing, or were they distractions? Um, I don't know if I'd use the word diligent because it was it was just fun. <laughs> it it yeah. felt good and. It, it didn't require a lot of self discipline to, to get myself to sing. Uh, guitar, uh, I definitely, yeah, I had, I did have that instinct, like, okay, here's my practice regimen. I'm going to do this every day, and 
here's the metronome, here's the timer. And, and I got, I got more like that as, as I got later in, in high school. Um, I went to, I went to Berkeley School of Music for a summer program after my junior year. And that, that's when I started to get a, a little more disciplined about everything. But until then, it was just, I, I gave it, I gave it most of my time just because it felt good. Yeah. That's so great. And I, I didn't play football. Yeah. <laughs> Me either. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Rivers describes finding musical inspiration from seeing the movie Amadeus as a teenager and how Weezer was founded from the ashes of his prog rock speed metal band called Avant-Garde. Whenever I, I speak to someone, like I was speaking to Thundercat the other day, and um, he, you know, is a very studied jazz musician from when he was a little boy. And he was telling me about, like, he grew up with these other musicians and how they, you know, they focused and it was fun and they were together and they were working on this music all the time, you know. And I'm so, like, in a way, I'm kind of envious, you know, because I was just such a little wild street rat. So cool that you had that opportunity. That's interesting because you see, just knowing the way you play, you seem like you must have done some serious practicing because your chops are so insane. It, I, well, I have, like, when I do it, I do it. And I, I'm by nature a pretty physical person. Right. You know, like, and physicality is a big way of the way that I relate to music, like the way that my body moves with it, whether I'm like ahead of the beat or behind the beat. Or, but I guess it's more like, um, not that like I love to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a, if my next question was, I was going to do a, d- a different question about loving to play, but. It's the, the harmonic stuff, like the theory and the structure and uh, getting that education, you know, like singing and understanding how harmony works and all those things where I was just like, I was like, wow, let's play. You know what I mean? Like, this is great. You know what I mean? We're going to be the craziest ones of all, you know, right. like, <laughs> which is fun and great and has been a great assistant to me. But, but as I get older and I want to like understand theory and stuff better, it's harder to learn things when you're older. You know, I mean, I'm a student of music forever, but it's when you're little and you have those building blocks, they serve you so well. And I mean, I, you know, envy isn't the right word. I'm just so happy that you had it, I guess. <laughs> it makes me happy to hear that, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I was unusually attracted to, to learning the theory part of everything, even, even from the beginning of high school. You know, that's around the time the movie Amadeus came out and I got to see, you know, this representation of a great composer, like writing out his music coming from his head, right, right onto the um, manuscript paper. And it just seems so cool. So that's one of the things that inspired me. Yeah. I think more, more than most any other kid I knew, I was, I was attracted to that. And I, 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 I didn't think it was cool. I was, I was kind of embarrassed and I wished I wish I wasn't like that. You mean like in terms of like, you felt like you were a nerd because you were so into doing things that were, you know, just being studious? Yeah, specifically about music. Like it just didn't seem cool or rock and roll to to want to understand like, you know, how to write proper voice leading or the circle of fifths or. Yeah. It just, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't cool. And part of me was like trying to hold myself back. Mm. Uh, you know, eventually I've, I've come to just accept it and like go with it. Yeah. So is that like only recently you've, you've come to accept that, like that part of your, your true self? 
probably mid mid twenties. I just started. Uh, yeah, I guess this is who I am. It's not it's not cool, but uh, I can't help it. Yeah, I mean it. Like, well, I got to say from from an outsider perspective and a fan, it's always you know it's striking. Your relationship to music seems so unique and so yourself. You know, like a guy that is really going his own way and like from the get go and not sounding like other people without trying to like, you know, insert, you know, some like uh, Charles Ive piece in the middle of it or something. So, you know what I mean? Like, like without being show offy at all, it all feeds into the music. And yeah, I, I, I have done exactly that though. Like, I've, I've uh, taken homework assignments from, from music theory courses and put them into Weezer songs. Wow. Uh, or, or I've, you know, and I've taken parts of famous classical pieces and interpolated them into Weezer songs many, many times. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> wow. Was there a time when for many musicians, especially like as we become professional musicians and working and schedules and tours and all of that stuff, where sometimes it's not fun, you know, and something that's been so fun to do, like, you know, to learn, to grow, to play music. And then like, you might just be like really tired or upset or going through a difficult challenge in your life and you got to show up and go to work and do it. Has that ever been a challenge for you? Like where it's like, cause for me, like, oh, what, this is so fun. Wait, it's not fun today. I don't want to yeah. go home. I'm tired. Oh yeah. That's, that's it. That can be a big challenge. There's been times where I just wanted to walk away from it all. And of course, we live up to our commitments. But once the tour is over or whatever, it's like, okay, okay, guys, I'm going to go back to school and, and get a degree in music or something. And mm. I don't know when I'm coming back. That's what I did in the in the mid 90s. And even now, like as the tour goes on, like at, once it gets past show 20, it's you, you walk out on stage at the beginning of the show and it's like, Oh my God, I really, really don't want to be here or do this, but there's like 15,000 people here and they're so excited and they really want me to want to do this. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. I, I, I wrestle with those feelings often myself. Yeah. And I, I did, so, but you did go away and go back to school. Like as an adult, you went back to college. Yeah. Um, after our first album came out, we had been touring for about a year, a year, and then we were we were playing in Boston, and I was just so bored. It seemed so repetitive back then. You know, you only have thirteen songs in your set list because that's all the songs you have, and it was just, it was dull. And so i i went I walked up to uh, Harvard and picked up an application, filled it out, and I got accepted. So I took a year off then, and then. Several times over the next 10 years, I, I went back and finally graduated when I was 36. Oh, that's incredible. Congratulations. Thanks. I, you know, I took two years off the Chili Peppers in my, when I was four, and when I was 46, and I had never studied music academically at all in any way. And I went for a year to USC and studied theory and composition. And um, it was, I loved it so much. Like I had never, like even like through like by the time I was in high school, I was barely going and just smoking weed and you know, and and when I went back, uh, just sitting in there with those professors and because I always want to ask people stuff, but I don't want to bug them, you know, 
and to get there like that they wanted me to ask and like, like I was the you know the old weird guy in class with my hand up constantly asking questions and you know we're like you know analyzing Bach chorales and doing the stuff that you do in beginning theory like I just took the first year of theory and composition but I it made me want to go like I'd like to go now I'd like to go and I want to study everything like I not just music like I love the music but I'd like to go study philosophy and history and literature and man it's such a amazing place at college yeah it is i love it i love it too fuck i love it like i i wish yeah anyways i i'm glad that i did it for the, the short time that i did it but i jumped way that way ahead of your music education you're doing battle of the bands you're playing guitar you've been studying you've done all the stuff like that school could give you you did it and you got great joy from singing in the barbershop quartet you love kiss and so what's next? Yeah. So around the time I was 16, you know, that's when a lot of kids started thinking about college. I had zero interest in college at the time. And I, uh, I, was, I wasn't doing well in school academically. Um, I didn't know what to do with my life. And so I went to see my, my parents' uh, Zen master. They, were, they got into Zen after, after the ashram. And, uh, I, I just said like, I, I want to become, I want to become a monk because nothing feels meaningful. Uh, it's, it's, it's all just, you know, games. And he, he said, well, you know, being a monk is a game too. And in a sense, like not meaningful. So why don't you just find something you enjoy and go play that game? And play it as hard as you can. And so, well, I, I, I like being in a band. I, I like to be a rock star. So, I guess I'll do that. And from that moment on, I was pretty inspired and focused. So, right after high school, shortly after high school, I moved with my band from Connecticut to L.A. to Hollywood. And you know, we we started playing on the Sunset Strip and trying to get the deal and and make it. Is that Weezer? That was not Weezer. That was a like a progressive metal speed metal band, and it was it lasted about six months, and then ultimately it dawned on not on me but on some of the other guys. Like actually, nobody really wants to hear this kind of music, so it fell apart. Guys moved back home. I got a job at Tower Records, and through that job, I met the other Weezer guys. I also got an education in like cooler music or music that has broader appeal and we formed the band and the, the speed metal band before that were you the principal songwriter were you you were writing the songs and singing them i was writing the music and mm -hmm. and in my opinion at the time the, the music the riffs and all that that was really what mattered <laughs> lyrics all that stuff was an afterthought, but I, um, so I didn't. I didn't write any of that. We, in retrospect, we had a really great singer and melodist and lyricist, um, but I didn't. I didn't do any of that. Oh, okay. I knew I could sing like in the choir or something, but I'd never thought I could be a lead singer in a in a metal band. I just mm. I didn't have that kind of range or that kind of presence, power. Yeah. Um, I was just like a nice little choir boy. And when you did that band, were you like? super into metal and speed metal and progressive like were you into prog rock what like what were you into and what were you studying to get into that place 
Yeah. So Kiss turned into, in the mid-80s, like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. That turned into Metallica, Slayer. That turned into like the Shredder guys, Ingve Malmsteen, probably the, the most famous name. And uh, yeah, then it became all about shredding and very uh, sophisticated music, time changes, key changes, all that. Is that kind of how that continued until that band ended? Yes. Uh, we we connected to a lawyer after a few months of, of being in Hollywood. And interestingly, I still remember the phrase he used when he heard our demo tape. This is like 1989. He said, you have the attention span of a flea. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, what, did, what does that mean? So, and he said, you have to write hooks. So we tried to like, toned down our, our the progressiveness of, of the music and we tried to make it a little more fun and catchy. So and we changed the name of the band from Avant Garde to Zoom. It's called Avant Garde? Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> then Weezer was kind of like that's when I said, well, okay, I'm gonna try to write some lyrics and I'm gonna try to sing. And I know I'm not really a lead singer, but I'm gonna try to do it. And so it was still had the heavy guitars, but we wanted it to be as simple as possible, like the music to be as simple as possible. And then you mix in the sound of my voice, which is not metal. And that's kind of Weezer. Right. That's cool. And was it something that you really had to labor to make happen with the band? Or was it kind of like you got in the room and started doing it and right away there was just like, wow, we sound like this and, and we're ourselves right away? Or was it, was it more like you kind of had to, you know, piece it together and chip away all the things that didn't make sense in order to find the thing that made sense? Definitely the latter. Because <laughs> uh, I was just starting out as a, like a lead singer in a band. Um, we sounded nothing like our first album when we started. Mm. We were still copying the bands that had immediately inspired us before, like Jane's Addiction and, or, you know, early Nirvana. Yeah. I was just trying to sing like those guys and I don't I don't have that kind of voice at all. Yeah. And it was a lot more like wah pedal and blues jams and I think you can find those early Weezer tapes on YouTube or something and it's it's wow. pretty hilarious what we sounded like. And I, and yeah, I had really yeah. long hair. <laughs> I, those first two James records were big ones for me. Oh yeah. It's so inspiring. The second one the second one, man. I am skin and bones. I am pointy nose. Yeah. Such a cool scene, too. Yeah, it was a feeling of, you know, coming like I, like we're a little bit before that, but pretty close. I mean, we started in, in 83, but it's this feeling for quite a period of time where there were all these bands. There were a bunch of good bands, too. Like some like never got it together to make a good record or were really good, but just didn't figure out how to do it in the studio or whatever reason. But it felt so, um, I guess, you know, before, before the internet too, it, it, it was really like ours in the yeah. city, you know, like all these bands and like the most would be like, okay, some KXLU, if you're lucky, you got onto K-Rock, you know, but it was, it was very, you know, there was a lot of energy and a lot of people who were really giving their entire lives sink or swim to this thing that was really just I guess underground is the word for it, you know, just an underground music scene, like pretty amazing, you know? And I, f I felt like, like it, it was so, there's so many good things fermenting and changing and different styles of music all there. Yeah. You feel that? 
yeah, yeah. It's great to be a part of it, even just as a fan. Yeah, it's cool. And then, so you're with the band, you're applying all the things that you learned. And with the other guys in your band, were they like from the get go? Did you relate to them in terms of like where they were at musically and, and how they were developing and their own like sense of selves and playing with them and being able to communicate with them and create? Um, yes and no. So definitely uh, with, with our original bass player, Matt, like I remember when he called me after he heard I had assembled this collection of demos on a cassette tape and he got a hold of it. He wasn't in the band yet, but he called me and he's just like, this is unbelievable. I got to be in this band. We got to do this. This is going to happen. And I could tell he just totally, totally related to what I was trying to do and got it and was, was going to champion me. And it, it was, it was a great thing. Yeah. And some of the other guys, you know, it's just like, they're coming from a very different place and, uh, it made it more challenging because they're not they're sometimes they're not playing exactly how you thought it was going to go. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's frustrating or disappointing and and sometimes it takes it to a higher level. Yeah, sometimes it's like someone might be frustrating but you know, okay, well let me just stop trying to control them and let them be for a second. It could be come something that you didn't even know that it could be and even better. After the final break, we hear how Rivers meditation practice 2 hours a day every day has shaped his creative process. You know, I remember once, um, you know, we've only spoken a few times before, but I kind of met you through Rick Rubin, and, and I had gotten really into Vipassana meditation, and I was going to retreats and um, working on it, and it was a really, you know, awakening thing for me and getting to know myself. Um, and, 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 and you were doing Vipassana meditation and we spoke about it a little bit. And at the time you told me it was the most important thing in your life. And I'm wondering, is that still the case for you? And does it, how does that relate to your creative process? Yeah, it's still the most important thing in my life. This uh, January, I'm going to go to another 10 day course and I will have been doing it for exactly 20 years now. So every day is at least two hours of meditation. And then every year is at least a 10 day meditation course. Wow. So yeah, Rick, Rick has suggested it back to me in 2003. So uh, I really, it really just stuck. Maybe that's, that's one source of, of like, I'm able to kind of just reset and reconnect to creative ideas. Yeah. And, and also maybe that's a way that you don't have those things where you're feeling like you don't have, uh, you know, you're not like letting the river of creativity come through you. You know what I mean? Like flow through you, like because you're doing that stuff. Yeah, actually, that's why I started in the first place with the meditation is because I felt like the river of ideas had dried up and there, I, nothing was coming, nothing felt good. Uh, but yeah, since I started 20 years ago, so there seems to be no shortage of, of things I want to try. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And is there anything that you've wanted to do musically that you haven't been able to do? 
I generally feel like whatever crazy idea pops into my head, I go ahead and do it. <laughs> so there's not much uh, holding me back uh, for yeah. better or for worse. That being said, I have reached this place now where it feels like a relationship with the audience where I, I don't want to just shut them out of the conversation and go off on my own path. Like these people are in my life and I see them online every day and we're listening to the same music. And we're, when I go to a concert, they're there and they're listening to the music I'm playing. And that's the reality. So, um, I will, I, I'm at this place now where like, I really want to listen and see where their heads are at and like what mm. they're reacting to. And sometimes it's not exactly where I would have gone on my own, but I, I mean, specifically they, um, they seem to like changes to happen more slowly. Like I would just say, Oh, it's a, it's a new day. Let's throw out the recipe book and let's start over from scratch and invent something totally new. For whatever reason, they're like, they want to hang on to what they loved about the past. And okay, that doesn't mean I can't do anything new. I guess I just need to mix it in a little, a little more gradually. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Miles Davis talk about that a lot before in various different interviews. And, and he did, you know, he was a guy that changed so drastically throughout his career. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like things like take each, like, whatever each era and they're completely fucking different which is pretty rare musically and he just talked about it how like i get it like you know you heard my funny valentine when you were romancing your first wife and falling in love and and having sex and stuff and you want me to do that because you want me to recreate that magic time in your life and he's like you know go listen to the record because i'm just not gonna <laughs> like i need to create new magic times for me so i guess it's you know in in a way, it's like it's being conscious of what people want, but he felt I, I think like he talked about it like I'm just like selfishly the way he spoke about it. Uh-huh. But I I don't really I feel like he was also more saying like I'm going to give more people something completely new to have new magic experiences. You know what I mean? If you're willing to grow with me, and, and I think that's being in touch with them too. I, and it kind of seems like what you're saying too. Just yeah, I mean. He was amazing. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've made a fucking boatload of records. It's, uh, you know, it's always coming and it's a, you know, a huge body of work. Is that the way that you, like, have you always envisioned it that way? Do you like it that way? I guess it's, I don't know. It's just like, it's pretty awesome. It's a lot to do in the the amount of life that you've lived so far. What's like, what's your take on it? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how how I ended up here. Yeah. I think if I were to go back and like plan out the ideal artist career, it um I don't know. It seems maybe maybe there's too much quantity or <laughs> like uh if it's it, it maybe the whole thing would have been more impactful if you could if you could go back in time and and just release the very best stuff and cherry pick. <laughs> And yeah, cherry pick and releasing it in a very strategic way, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's it's I guess uh, ho- hopefully future generations will will sort it all out, and they'll just they'll focus on the best stuff. Yeah, they do. I think they will. I mean, I I, I yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's like you know how people are always 
or oftentimes I hear people sort of bemoaning the state of current music and thinking back to how it was like, oh, in the 60s, it was such an explosion of this new sound. And oh, in the 70s, you know, when this happened and that happened and punk rock happened and oh, the birth of hip hop and like all these things, like all those things are great. But that's just because we don't remember all the shitty stuff that was going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't think that the the amount of creativity is better now. I just think that we don't remember the bad stuff because the good stuff is the stuff that lasts the test of time. I don't think the percentage changes. 100% agree with you. Yeah. That's a trip, right? Yeah. And, and there will come a, a day when people look back on the early 2020s as like this uh, amazing time in music, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. They're going to be that little Dirk record. Yeah, I was listening to Lil Dirk and Cardi B this morning on it. <laughs> well, it was good. It was really good. When you, uh, this is kind of, this is a question I've asked everybody. Um, for a young musician, what advice do you have for them? Uh, it's funny because I, I generally feel like young people ha- have a better grasp on on how to do it than, than us old folks. Like I, I would be asking them for advice. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I would just say, go for it. Definitely go for it. And, uh, just, just know that you're an individual, you're a unique individual and you may have like, basically I'm talking to myself now when I was starting out as a kid, uh, you may have these instincts and desires to go down paths that, that don't seem cool or don't, don't seem like the, the right way to go or the, the way that your favorite artist went before you, but go, go down those roads and just, and just be yourself. It's hmm. a good one. Sound advice. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Thank you guys so much. Uh, great questions, Flea. That was really fun. And, uh, oh, yeah. No, thank you so much for being so thoughtful about it, dude. Hopefully I see you sometime around. Yeah, likewise. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rivers Cuomo. As always, thank you for listening to This Little Light, a podcast that exists to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.